you, Brooke, Roxy, and Artis, for your music ministry to us this morning. A couple announcements that I neglected to tell you before. First announcement I wanted to highlight is today is our communion service and it is fellowship meal downstairs. If you did not know that there was fellowship meal after the service, please come down. There's plenty of food for everyone. We'd love to have you join us as we get to know each other better as followers of Jesus Christ. That'll be downstairs immediately after the service. The next announcement I wanted to highlight is in the back table, I have here what's called sermon notebooks. These are designed for the teenagers of the church. It is very easy for people to get distracted in the service because of everything that's going on. Uh, And these are books that we have got. We have plenty for everyone. Uh, And it has split up in there. It talks about sermon notes. The topic is this passage in the Old Testament, the New Testament. You get to write the passage down there. Theme of any of the songs that might have been sung in the service. Uh, Words that I don't understand. So if I start pontificating, you can write it down and come up and say, Pastor Peter, you're speaking too big. What does this mean? Uh, Key words, Uh, Who is this text talking about? When was it written? What are the key points of the sermon? So it lays it out really well. So they're on the back table. If any of the teenager in the church does not pick one up today, I will personally take it and slap you across the side of the face with it. I think those are the only two announcements. This is going to be a fun sermon. I have no idea what's going to come out of my mouth. Um, as you know, I was at a pastor's conference this past week, uh, and my goal for this Sunday, I was, I was, as I was planning out my sermon calendar, uh, was to take something that I learned and then pass it on to you. One of the great things I love about the RHMA, Rural Home Missionary Association Conference, is they try to get speakers who know about small town ministry, but there are speakers who normally we, we as small town pastors would not be able to interact with. Uh, This conference, we had a guy by the name of D.A. Carson come and speak. His dad was a small-town pastor, missionary in Canada. Uh, And he grew up and became professor at Trinity Evangelical Theological Seminary. D.A. Carson did, and he's wrote several commentaries. He's written textbooks called, uh, yeah, I don't remember the name of it, Exegetical Fallacies, uh, to teach pastors how to actually read the Bible and apply it for what it actually says instead of pulling things out of thin air. He's a really great guy. He's in his upper 80s, lower 90s, and he's been studying the Bible for all of his life. Uh, And so it was really neat to sit there under his teaching and hear his heart as he shared the Bible with us. So the sermon I'm presenting with you today, normally when I get up here, I give you all of my own. I don't steal from anyone else. It's my own study during the week. This sermon is going to be D.A. Carson's outline with my words put into it. It's his outline, but my words. As we start off, I need to ask you, what is our identity? If you went and went to the local grocery store and you asked the clerk, who are you, what do you think that clerk would answer? What do you think that identity would be? In a society that we live in here in America, so many people are grasping at things to base their identity in, who they are. 
They'll base their identity on the color of their skin. They'll base their identity on the gender that they identify with. They'll base their identity on who they love or the job that they pursue. They'll base their identity on their kids. They'll base their identity on their parents. They'll base their identity on the grades that they have or the school they go to. There's lots of different things that you, you came up to someone and said, what is your identity that they would place their identity in? If you have conversations with people and you don't even ask them, what is your identity, who are you? Just by what they talk about, you can see what they think their identity is. We could talk about the truth or falsehood about any of these identities, but we're not going to nitpick them. The important thing to know is every single thing that I have mentioned so far that we could place our identity in, something that defines us, every single one of them is false. We cannot place our identity in any of these things because we are not defined by these things. If we consider ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, the truth is he is our identity. He is. But do we live that identity? It's one thing to acknowledge Jesus Christ as our identity and say, yes, there was a moment in my life when I turned from my sins and all these things that I trusted in for salvation and I've turned to Christ alone for my salvation, trusting only in him, accepting his gift. We might say, yes, there was a moment in my life, I've done that, he is mine, but the lives that we live do not show it so often. Today, we're going to talk about our self-identity, who we are and how it is revealed in our life. And we're going to study it through Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17 is our passage. Paul writes, In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. 
Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Will you pray with me? Father, this is your word. You have inspired it. You brought it about and you gave it to your servant to write down. It is completely true. We acknowledge that. And it is useful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that we might be equipped for every good work. Lord, thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for wanting to be known and revealing yourself so that we can know you. We are so grateful for that. Lord, today I ask that we would understand your word and that we would be changed by it. That you would use my weakness to bring forth your glory. Lord, as I am up here, I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. Through this passage, we're going to see our identity as those who live at the right address, as those who wear the right clothes, and as those who sing the right song. That's our journey. First, let's look at living at the right address. Paul says something very unique at the beginning of this passage in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. We just read it, but we're going to read it again. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, Paul says, Since, therefore, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He says that we have died and have been raised. Now, everyone, anyone sitting here, is anyone sitting here physically dead? Jacoby raises his hand and says yes. One person in the back says, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not dead. You're not dead. We're all living and breathing people. We acknowledge that. We're on the same page. Yes? How many of you are asleep? Okay. Um, Paul says that we have died and that we have been raised with Christ. And now we live with him above with Christ seated at the right hand of God. Now, how many of you want to declare that not only have you died, but you are now physically sitting in heaven? Anyone there? No one? No. But Paul says we are. How is that so? Now, throughout Paul's epistles, he is, one might term, say the term, obsessed uh, but I don't like the connotation of that term, but just for kicks and giggles, we'll say he's obsessed with this concept of the heavenly realm. The heavenly realm. If you open to Ephesians, throughout Ephesians, he talks about this heavenly realm where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He starts off with Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians 1, 3. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's writing to those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the saved, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. And he says that he has gathered up all the things that are good in the heavenly realms, in heaven, and he has dumped them on us. He has given us forgiveness in Christ, a forgiveness that we don't have to earn. We have a relationship with Christ, the creator of the universe. We have joy, we have peace, we have hope. All these things being brought from the heavenly realm and given to us. He says that these things in the heavenly realm are given to us because Christ is in the heavenly realm. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. Ephesians 1, 18 to 23, Paul writes, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, fall above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and has appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So Christ, raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly realm, and he's taking all these spiritual blessings and dumping them on us. In chapter 2, not only does Paul say Christ is in the heavenly realm, but he says that we are in the heavenly realm. In chapter 2, verses 4 to 7, chapter 2, 4 to 7 of Ephesians, Paul says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raises us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So he says that we are literally seated with God in the heavenly realms. But what does that mean? We'll get back to that. In chapter 3, Paul says that God's message is broadcast in the heavenly realms. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. This is the mission that we have, to broadcast God's message. Ephesians 3, verses 10 to 11. Uh, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So not only does God's blessings come to us from the heavenly realms, because Christ is in the heavenly realm, but we are in the heavenly realm, and our duty is to broadcast the message of God throughout the heavenly realm. Why is that so? Because our enemy is in the heavenly realm as well. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Everything we are as a follower of Jesus Christ is wrapped up in the heavenly realm. The blessings that we enjoy come from the heavenly realm. Our Savior is in the heavenly realm. Our mission is in the heavenly realm. Our enemy is in the heavenly realm. The truth is, our identity is those who abide in the heavenly realm, not as those who abide on the earth. We might look at our life. We might say, you know, yes, I know Christ said he is coming someday. 
And he is going to bring his eternal kingdom with all the paradise and the perfection and the stuff that comes with it. But I'm living in the struggle right now on this earth. The struggle against sin. I'm living surrounded by the pain of this life and I see more and more and more every day the realities of this world. Christ is in heaven. He's not here. Christ is in heaven. I'm not there. I am here. And that would be true. But Paul in this passage, we could say that Paul is saying that we are spiritually in the heavenly realm, which, which is a good answer. But Paul is bringing about a theological term that if you have one of those notebooks, you're going to start writing it down right now in that spot of words I do not understand. Paul is using what theologians call a spatial understanding of an inaugurated kingdom. How many people have I lost? Thank you for your honesty. He is using the term, a spatial understanding of an inaugurated kingdom. Kingdom speaks of what Christ is bringing. We are looking forward to his kingdom coming on this earth. Revelation chapter 20, 21, and 22 speaks of Christ's kingdom coming. Uh, lots of times people refer to this as, you know, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven one day. But he's, he's literally going to bring his kingdom to earth, and we're going to live forever on this earth in a place of perfection. It's looking forward to it. That's the kingdom. Inaugurated means that that kingdom has started. It's there, but God has put in place the wheels working toward his ultimate coming. Inaugurated. Every, every four years, those who are political freaks like myself turn on C-SPAN and we watch the inauguration of the President of the United States. He starts his kingdom for the next four years and then we boot him out. But Christ has started his kingdom and the wonders are working even now. Even though we're in the midst of the pain and the turmoil of this life, we see the wonders working. We do experience God's hope joy and peace. We experience a vibrant relationship, hopefully, with this life that is pointing to the perfect relationship we have there. We say that we are saved now at the moment of faith. Truly, ultimately, we are saved when we stand before the judgment seat of God, and he looks at us, and though we are quaking in our shoes, he says, I declare you righteous. Your sin is not held against you because of Christ's death on the cross. That is our ultimate salvation, but we experience our salvation now. Inaugurating the kingdom has started. We look forward to it coming, but it has started. When he talks about spatial understanding, it says that yes, in many ways, I am not there in eternity. I am not physically in the heavenly realm. And I can fill up all book of all the ways that I am not physically there, but Christ is. Therefore, since he is, I am. Paul, through Colossians, talks so much about what it means to identify with Christ. And Paul identifies with Christ so much that he says, 
Since I am with Christ, I died with Christ, literally. I raised with Christ, literally. Now, therefore, since Christ is in heaven, literally, I am there too. His resurrection is mine. His death is mine. His life right now is mine. So since we identify with Christ for salvation, we too should identify with him with our life. He is just as we trust him for our salvation, but we trust him for our sanctification, our service, our shepherding. If we identify with him as our life, we are there with him now. Which means, since I am there, I should set my mind on things above, in the heavenly realm, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. Paul mentions in Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 to 21. Galatians 2, verses 20 to 21, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul says, I live my life as if I am living in the heavenly realm, proclaiming the gospel with my life and living against those spiritual forces every single day. I live my life looking at the choices of how I act, looking at the choices of what I say, looking at the choices of what to pursue or what to prioritize my day, looking at the choices of everything and anything which belongs to this world order, I kill. Anything that belongs to this world order that I see in my life, I take the head off. John Owen, an old Puritan preacher, wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. They liked to put all sorts of syllables together back then. And he based this book on Romans chapter 8, verse 13. Romans 8, verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. By mortification of sin, that mortification comes the root word mortify, which means to die. He's talking about killing sin in his book. He believed, as he looked at the Christians of his day, he believed that the Christians of his day were too at peace with the world. They were enjoying just living life. And we could say the same thing. Too often, I live my life as if my address is 808 East 3rd Street, Neely. Instead of living my life as the place perfectly prepared for me by my Savior in the heavenly realm, that is my address. I'm just staying there. Too often, I do not put to death the things of this world order. Too often, I embrace them using all sorts of excuses to say, it's okay. But when I embrace those sins, when I embrace those priorities which are not godly, I am saying that I do not in fact live in the heavenly realm, and therefore I do not in fact identify with Christ for my life or my salvation. Paul is saying let's stop with the excuses and let's live at the right address. Not only does he talk about how we are to live at the right address, but he says we are to wear the right clothes. We are to wear the right clothes. He moves from discussing 
residence to what we wear. And he says that we are to take off certain actions. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 10. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 10. Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. He has a long list of actions there. And some of those actions we'd look at and say, we definitely do not want to do those things. Those are in the past, never want to do them. But some of those actions, many of us find excuses to indulge in. But Paul does not give any wiggle room to this. We are to take off those actions. We are to take on other actions. Before we discuss the actions that we're supposed to take on, let's point out something. Paul, in talking about uh, the right clothes that we wear, this discussion is not a discussion of salvation or conversion. This taking off of old clothes, putting on new clothes, is not that moment of faith when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. These are people who have already identified Christ's death, burial, and resurrection that he's writing to. They are the saved. So this discussion is a discussion of sanctification. We have placed our faith in Christ. We are followers of him. Therefore, we must put off the clothes of the old life and put on the clothes of the new life. It is a conscious decision we must every day make. What are the clothes that we are to put on? Continuing in the passage, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Paul writes, in Colossians 3, 12 to 14, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's read that one again. Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are to make the conscious decision to put on these clothes every single day, all day. Many times life gets heated. You're like you're stuck in the inside of a car on a hot day. It was like 35 degrees in the morning, and so you dress accordingly. And then the day heats up. And you're sitting outside in the grocery store waiting for someone to go in and pick up something. And you're getting hot. And because you're getting hot, you start peeling off your clothes. First your hat, then your gloves, then your coat, then your shirt. Hopefully you don't get any farther than that. But too often life gets heated. And we say, I can't handle the situation I am in. So I'm going to take off compassion. So I'm going I'm to take off gentleness and patience. Forgiveness, nope, 
can't do it. It's too hot. Love, unity, well, if they agree with me, I'll leave it on. But we're not supposed to live like, like that. I know you've been there. I've been there. And when we do this, in these heated situations, we blame our anger, we blame the words that we use, we blame our attitudes on the, on the situation we're going through. Well, if that situation was different, I would have responded differently. Or my emotions are making me act this way. But we can't blame it on the situation, we can't blame it on our emotions. It is a willful choice we are making to take off the clothes that God has called us to wear. Can we get more personal. Say you're married. If you're not married, this works for friendship too. But for the sake of illustration, say that you're married. Something happens and you have a fight. Now this is just hypothetical because I know all the marriages here are perfect and no one fights. Say the wife has done something and as husband, if you're a husband, you're madder than all get out. You go to bed angry. You know the verse in Ephesians that says, don't let the sun go down in your wrath, but that was written to the Ephesians, not to you. And the comes, sun comes up, and you have a choice in that moment as you roll over and stare at that sweetheart that you are fuming against. Which clothes are you going to put on? Are you going to put on the old clothes of anger, rage, malice, filthy language, or anything else you want to do? Or are you going to make the conscious decision to put on the clothes of compassion? I understand where you're coming from because Christ does. Kindness. I will not allow my feelings to hurt you. Instead, I willingly choose to show Christ. Humility. I realize that in my responses to you, I have sinned against God and you. Please forgive me. I want to follow Christ's example. Gentleness. Let me meet you where you are in your emotions and pain, not pushing you down more because Christ does not. Patience. Let me take the time to understand you better and allow God the time to lead you in your sanctification instead of me trying to do it through Christ. Forgiveness. Yes, I have been hurt by you, but Jesus died for that hurt. He paid the penalty for your actions. Therefore, I will not make you pay any penalty at all, nor will I change the way I treat you. Love. In Christ, I choose to be loyal to you, and do right by you, regardless of your actions, but all because of Christ. And through these actions, I bind myself in unity to you, because Christ died so that we might be one in him. The clothes we wear are our choice. Which clothes are we going to put on in that situation? Now, I've been talking as a guy but this can be totally flipped around because girls go through this too. I believe that guys and girls are different. They have different functions, but this is one area that I am egalitarian. I believe guys and girls are the same. Everyone is equal in fights. So which clothes are we going to put on? We have an identity 
as a Christian. Our address is in the heavenly realm, so are we going to self-consciously wear the right clothes or are we going to find any excuse that we want to to put on the muddy clothes of our past and pretend in that immediate moment that Christ is not our sanctification, that he is not our life, that he is not our savior? What is it going to be? We live at the right address. We are to wear the right clothes. Finally, Paul says we are going to sing the right song. We are to sing the right song. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. Paul says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In this passage, Paul sets out several different triplets. uh, Three phrases where he says basically the same thing. The first set of triplets is about the gospel. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Each of these phrases has to do with the gospel, the peace of Christ. It comes from the gospel. Christ brings peace through his death and resurrection. He brings peace with God because our sins are forgiven and we have a personal relationship with him again. He brings peace with each other because Christ has paid the penalty for all sins He's removed any barrier that we might throw up, artificial barrier in Christ. It is removed. In him, we can have one, we have oneness, we can have peace. The message of Christ is the gospel. He died showing us eternal love that we might be forgiven, justified, sanctified, glorified, and any other fide that you want to add to it. We are to share that message that he says, not just with non-Christians, he says, but with fellow Christians reminding them continually of our truth, of our faith through our words and the songs. Then he says the peace of Christ. This is the message of Christ. He says the name of Christ. The name of Christ speaks of his identity. Someone's name in this time was their identity, their character. And the name of Christ proves the gospel, his identity. His followers, whether in word or deed, are to speak and to do according to the identity of Jesus Christ. So that's the triplet he says, all based on the gospel, which is great. And if he left it there, we would think nothing's left out. He covered all the bases about the gospel and how it affects our life. But Paul adds something to each line, a second triplet. And you read it and you wonder, huh, why is it that there? Colossians 3.15, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish, la-da-da-da-da, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. To each gospel point, Paul brings in this line about gratitude. So our identity as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who live at the right address, who wear the right clothes, are those who sing the right song. We are to be thankful Christians. If you walk into the local cafe and you sit down and you bury yourself in a newspaper, but you don't read the words, instead you do the evil thing of eavesdropping at the table next to you, 
you will notice something interesting. Most of the time, when people have conversations, they normally don't talk about what they're thankful for. Instead, most of the time, the most heated, the most enjoyable conversations with people are the complaining sessions. You'll have complaints about the weather, complaints about the husband, complaints about the wife, complaints about the kids, complaints about how they're raising the grandkids. You will not hear many conversations about thankfulness if you're eavesdropping at the local cafe. Now think about your conversations with fellow Christians. What are those conversations normally like? Are they conversations of complaints? Or are they conversations of thanksgiving? If you think about Christians who are an effective witness for the gospel, are they the Christians who are thankful or the Christians who are living in continual misery? Christians with a bold witness, if you can list them in your head, are the ones who are thankful Christians. And we can tell stories about these thankful Christians, and we can sit back and be in awe of how thankful this specific Christian is and how can they live their life with such a smile on their face of what they're going through. Dea Carson told a story about a student at Trinity Evangelical Theological Seminary. The student had moved from South America up to the seminary to get trained for ministry back in his home country. He moved up there with his wife and his three-year-old daughter. He started studying there. His wife started developing some physical issues. She went in and got checked out, and turned out she had cancer. They went through treatments. They had to go back home for a period of time, came back. Her cancer went into remission. It's a miracle. He started, kept studying. He began to have issues. Went in. He had cancer. Went through treatments. His cancer went into remission. Life was continued going. And then her cancer came back. And then she died. Six years of studying for the ministry that he believed that God had called him to through the entire six years, battling cancer after cancer after cancer. He packed up to move back to his home country with his now nine-year-old daughter and no wife. And the Sunday before he went back home, he stood at D.A. Carson's church and preached And the only thing he talked about was the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ and how grateful to God he was. We can look at him and say, wow, what an amazing Christian. How can he do it? But the thing is, according to Paul, he's the normal Christian. And anyone who is not like that is abnormal. Because in Christ, he has given us so much, so much. Our church services should be a resounding praise to God. It was such a joy this morning during sharing time. Did you hear how many praises we shared? God is working. And it's so neat to see it. And it should be like that all the time. Because God has saved us. And he is triumphantly leading us through life. Our conversations with our spouses and with our kids and our friends should be peppered 
with the truth of what God is doing. Now, when I say peppered, I mean the peppering that my wife does, not the peppering I do. I do a little dashing. She, like, takes the lid off. Poof. That should be what people hear, is the gratitude, the thanksgiving of what God is doing in our life. We are to sing the right song. Now, sometimes the song that we sing is a lament. There are points of time when we grieve the brokenness around us. Conference that we went to was a very, very sweet, encouraging time. I was able to interact with good friends I haven't seen for three years. And it was uplifting. But as we said goodbye, I said goodbye to some people that I may never see again in this life. So it was bittersweet. And so sometimes there is lament. But as we lament, it means, yes, we grieve through the pain and the brokenness. But the pain and the brokenness cause us to turn our eyes to the God who is good through all things. So even in the lament, in the grief, we see gratitude. We see true, real, vibrant gratitude because we are people who acknowledge that God is on his throne and God is always working. We sing the right song because of the gospel. Paul, Paul broadens this and talks about our, our conduct who we are and what we do. And he says, everything from, from the song we sing to our actions, everything is grounded in the gospel. We have gratitude because of the gospel. Husbands, we love our wives because of the gospel. Wives, you respect your husbands because of the gospel. Children obey their parents because of the gospel. Parents, we don't embitter our children because of the gospel. Families and friends, we forgive each other because of the gospel. We could continue throughout the rest of the book of Colossians from verse after verse after verse of all the ways we live because of the gospel, surrounded continually with gratitude because of what Jesus has done in our life. So who are we? If we are followers of Jesus Christ, hopefully we are those who live at the right address. We are those who wear the right clothes. We are those who sing the right song. This is the self-identity that has been mandated by us, by a holy God in his holy word. So let us seize it and let us live it. The first Sunday of every month, we celebrate the identity that has been given to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, as the people of God, take a moment to pause in the busyness of this life and remember what Jesus did for us. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, For I received from 